live. What's up, guys? Happy to have James Devlin on today. Uh, Three-time Super Bowl winner. Unfortunately, he beat Ryan and I's Rams. Um, and I hate to say it, James, one of the most boring Super Bowls of all time. Um, not man. boring. Not boring if you like defense, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Three points. Three points. That's what the Rams put up. Uh, yeah. for the Falcons, well, you, guys were on a, you guys were on a streak, too. I mean, uh, you got to take your hat off to, to Mr. Belichick up there in New England for scheming that one up. Because, I mean, it looked like nobody was going to stop, uh, you know, the Rams and what they were doing that year. And then they just kind of came in and damn near laid a goose egg on him. Oh, I have okay. to say, he had McVay in a pretzel. Oh, yes. man. We, we, we were hot that year. That was the year that, like, McVay was calling all the plays under 15, you know, under 15 seconds for, for golf. And yeah. Gurley was amazing that year. Yeah. I don't know why we had to bring that up, Ronnie. But you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still I'm still processing it. But for those Atlanta Falcons fans on, everyone knows what happened the year before, so I don't want to hear that trash. Mm-hmm. And a good buddy of mine represents Malcolm Butler, so okay. you guys had some fun with the Seahawks, I think, right before that. So sure they've been yeah, involved man. in some of the coolest Super Bowls uh, of recent past, and and I mean that. But the cooler yeah. thing, and the reason I'm excited to have you on, is everything else that makes you James Devlin. Uh, we got the Super Bowl wins, the long NFL career. But in addition to that, we were talking before the podcast, attended Brown University, a common mm-hmm. powerhouse for NFL players, yeah. studied engineering, a common major. Um, I've had mm-hmm. 15, 20 pro clients, zero have studied engineering. So yeah. right, right away, I can tell James is a little bit different. Had a lot of marketing and PR guys um, and yeah. nutritional science, but no engineering from Brown. And mm-hmm. um has four children, so I'm, I'm wondering yep. later in the show if what was more difficult, getting yelled at by Bill Belichick or chasing around four children in the house. The kids. Yep. And then lastly, he's a business owner, so welcome, James. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I, I'm looking forward to this, man. It'll be fun. So I'm going to kick it off, James, with some controversial stuff right away. Sure. Let's Who's going to win this college football playoff? And I heard that Michigan didn't recruit you, so I'm assuming it's going to be Alabama here, right? Yeah. So Michigan did recruit. That that was my that was my first love, man. When it comes to college football, um, sophomore year of high school, went out to uh, Michigan versus Miami of Ohio, and at that time, Chad Henney, who grew up maybe 20 minutes from me, um, it was his first start as a freshman, and. So I, my eyes were like as big as saucers, man. It was like, it was wild. I was in the locker room, met, met Tim Massacoy, who was another Parkland PA from my area. Man, I was like so, so gung-ho on Michigan. And then it just, I stopped growing. I didn't get any faster. And so, you know, all the Division One con- um, offers that I was expecting never came. And so then I just decided, hey, if I can't play big, big time division one football, I'm going to get the best education I can try to leverage football to do so. And then I ended up kind of setting my sights on the Ivy league and uh, came down to Brown and Princeton, took visits to both and Brown just seemed like a better fit for me. The, uh, the team there was, it just kind of engaged more naturally with those guys and um, went up there and had, had a great four years, man. It was it was awesome. I think you're jumping over the fact uh, that you got to choose between Brown and Princeton, a decision mm-hmm. that Ryan and I did not have to make. Yeah. How was your household growing up? Obviously, you guys were a sports family, but then academics were also a priority. Like, what made you naturally think, "Hey, I want to go to Ivy League"? Obviously, that's the goal for every immigrant child like myself growing yeah. up. What made you think like, hey, if I can't go play at Michigan, I'm going to go Ivy? Yeah, so um, I guess it was really just like naturally my competitiveness was like, you know, if I can't do what I would deem is like the best in football, then I'm going to try to do the the best I can in you know the academic side. And I was always like a pretty strong academic student. Um, I I was my I have one older sister. She's much more of like the gives great effort, you know, in the in the classroom. Um, you know, we're both like pretty smart people, but she's like very much more of like the effort one. And I just kind of naturally kind of things came to me. 
Um, so I wasn't, so I say that all to say, like, I wasn't really working all that hard, to be honest, um, in the academic side, but football was my everything. And so I kind of recognized an opportunity in high school, like, you know, I can do football and leverage that as a tool to get me into the best academic school because my grades were there. Um, so really once I made that decision, it came down to Brown and Princeton and Princeton was a little tougher. There's a bunch of like tiers. I believe recruiting is weird. You fall into these tiers where they can accept so many people from certain bands. And so at Brown, I was like a slightly lower band than at Princeton because there's different, um, you know, prerequisites and all that. And so, uh, yeah, and then Princeton, more or less, I, I wanted to study engineering. And Princeton was more or less like, yeah, you're not going to really be able to do that and play football. Yeah. Um, and so Brown was like, yeah, we just had a guy, Pat Curran, graduate with an engineering degree. Like, you can come and do it. It's going to be tough, but, you, you know, you can figure it out. And so that really was kind of my the, the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. It, it strikes me as like, very interesting that someone who is known for their work ethic and in intensity, right, in the game of football, you, you kind of describe yourself as like, you know, a free rider in, on the academic yeah. side. Uh, is that something for you that you feel like is like a controllable on and off switch that you could just turn on? Or were you just, you know, so passionate about football that you couldn't control it and had to compete versus the classroom where it was like, hey, I'm just not naturally as attracted to it yeah i mean that's it's interesting you say that because i never really thought of it until i said that <laughs> um like it i mean school kind of just kind of it it was what it was like i wasn't super super into it it's not like i was like uh um you know studying all the time like i was very much more like i'm a football player first and i know this sounds terrible um but like you know i just i i did do very well in in school um but i was more focused on on football you know that was like the love of my life before i met my wife and so it was i was just kind of like dedicating everything i could to the game and uh and it really it worked out man i mean i, I took on like a lot of sacrifices in high school or i was missing out on parties and stuff and trying to get myself better athletically and um you know and so yeah it just i guess i i just chose early on like i gotta i gotta really dedicate myself to this game if i really want to make it to where i want to make it in life i'm curious to step in your shoes take us back to the big house that that memory right mm -hmm. um seeing chad henny yeah. play was that did you walk out of the stadium more jazzed up and more motivated to like try to prove everyone wrong or like how what was that feeling or, or were you were, did you kind of go through a, a period where you're like oh maybe maybe this football thing isn't for me and like if so how did you what was the journey to like turning that around yeah so um i walked out of that and i was like man i am coming to michigan there's like nothing like that experience i mean that was i think it's still the biggest college football stadium and to go from Boyertown area senior high where I was at um you know playing in front of maybe a thousand maybe 1500 on a good night uh and then I'm in a stadium with 115,000 it was like something I had never experienced and so I was just like blown away and I went back I started you know working at that point I think I kind of I stopped playing basketball. I started just, you know, I was playing football and lacrosse in the spring. And in the winter and the summer, I was training with a with a guy out here who was a professional boxer, but he was just a sports performance coach. Um, and yeah, and I just, I just said, you know, I'm gonna try to do this thing. Now I was waiting for the offers to come and they just never came, you know, like I'd start to lose touch with, you know, the recruiting coordinators here and there. And so it was a big, I had to like kind of 
humble myself a little bit because here I am thinking I'm in the next, I'm, you know, the next big thing coming out of my area to go division one. And we had a rival kid from, uh, you know, two towns over that went to Penn state and I was like, Oh man, you know, I'm next, I'm next, nothing, nothing, nothing. And so, and then I just had to make a decision like, look, I, I got to do something. I'm going to play football at the next level, but how do I go about doing that? And, so I figured, you know, maybe football isn't isn't the route into like the professional world. So why don't I go and like set myself up nice with an Ivy League degree, and I can kind of like use one to leverage the other, and so to speak. So you part. Something I saw in a, in another. Go ahead. Aaron. I'm taking. <laughs> oh my something, God. <laughs> something I saw in another interview um, that you spoke to James, and I think you did a nice job. Is how football is a meritocracy, right? Like you can prove yourself. Like if you can get yourself Mm -hmm. in the door, then it's up to you. Mm -hmm. Um, You're sitting there at Brown, all of your classmates are graduating with engineering degrees and probably Mm -hmm. going to some super high paid jobs. What was that, that decision like for you of, I'm going to go grind it out. I'm going to try to make a team, a roster, or did you have another professional option? Had you come to that crossroad yet? Uh, Or or did you think you were going to get drafted originally coming out? Oh man. So that's, there's a, that's a long story. Um, so I always kind of had this dream to play at, the, at once I got to college to play at the next level. Did I think it was going to happen? I mean, deep down, I believed in myself that I could, but I didn't know how feasible it was. I mean, like you said, starting this whole thing off, Brown is not a football powerhouse. We had a couple, you know, guys get drafted here and there. Um, my class was one of the better classes to ever come out of Brown. We had a guy get drafted, two guys sign free agent contracts fresh out. And then I'm the fourth one that has a a rookie tryout with the Cleveland Browns. And so I played DN in college. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to play DN in in the pros because I'm 6'2 and a quarter, and I run a 5'140. So I'm like... They're not looking for me to set the edge, you know? So um, a a lot of this just comes on the fact that like, look, I was humbled coming out of high school. And so I wasn't shying away from being humbled again. Like I knew that the journey would be arduous, but I was up for it. I was like, you know what? I'm here. Like if I try to at least pursue my dream, at least I can say I tried. And I'm not going to always think back and be like, oh man, what if, what if I had done that? What if I had, you know, taken a chance, um, you know, while I'm having an engineering career somewhere, you know? Um, so yeah, so I was just like constantly being humbled and, and I just kind of kept working. I just kept like being stubborn. I think a lot of people probably thought I was stubborn, um, because, you know, yeah, I, I, after May of 2010, I graduated from Brown with an engineering degree, and here I am borrowing money from my parents to fly down to Oklahoma City to try out for an arena football team on a Facebook message that someone invited me down there. And so it was like, what are you doing, guy? But at the, I just had to see this dream out. You know, it was like you said, I mean, it's football is such a beautiful game in that it's really like, it's very simple. And if you can play and you know you can play, then you can, you can like earn status and keep the ball rolling and get better and better and better. And so I just relied in that, in that journey. And it took me, you know, to where I wanted to go. I just had to really, at times do things that other people probably wouldn't have. And it, it all kind of worked out for, for me. What do you think was that turning point? It sounds like you were doing it all yourself. Did you have an agent helping you? You said Facebook messaging. Yeah. Um, but had everyone kind of given up and said, hey, you got to go work a job? Or did you have someone advocating on your behalf? And when did you kind of reach that inflection point where you thought like, no, I'm, I'm going to make an NFL team. I'm sticking mm-hmm. and, and people are paying attention to me. Yeah. So my agent, um, nobody was nobody was looking to represent me. I mean, it was I was a a pretty far long shot. I think people knew that they knew the position I played, where I was coming from, my physical attributes, 
Um, and so how I got an agent was I grew up at a cul-de-sac. I was on the one side, the house right next to me had four boys, the mom, uh, sweet Marie Robinson. She was, she was a saint, right? Um, her cousin, they're at a family barbecue. Her cousin is an NFL agent. They're at a family barbecue. They're talking. She gets wind that, oh, Jim is going to, to Boston to scout a guy in the Harvard Brown game. So she goes, oh, well, my neighbor plays for Brown. You should look out for him. He's number 44. And he was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to look at uh, Dave Howard. We had this big D tackle. We called him Big Dave. Um, he was a monster. And I had a good game that game. I, you know, sacked two and a half TFLs, maybe forced a fumble, I don't know, a couple tackles. And so it kind of like, you know, turned him on to me a little bit. And then he wasn't really still looking to like do anything with me, but he ended up taking a call from me just as a favor to his, to his cousin. And I think he maybe said like, look, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go to bat for you. I'm not going to like, you know, really dive into your whole story, but I will help you if you're willing to, you know, do whatever I say. And so I was like, yeah, listen, I don't have any other prospects anywhere. So I, you're my agent now. And the first thing he did was um, I was home the summer before my senior year. And he made me drive up to North Jersey to Jim Garrett's house, the, the legendary scout for the Cowboys. He lives up in Monmouth, New Jersey, right on the beach. And I did a personal workout for Jim Garrett in his backyard with a bunch of high school uh, football players. And he put me through the whole game, but I was, I was doing stuff as a linebacker, defensive end, tight end, and a fullback. And that's kind of when I think my agent saw something that I could do something offensively. And Jim Garrett kind of gave uh, my agent the blessing. Like, I think he can maybe do something in the next level, but you're going to have to change his position. And so that's, that was the moment that I think I finally had one other person that was believing in me. And that's really all it took because then he was, he was going to bat for me. He really like, I think that was what I needed him to see was me doing stuff that, you know, people didn't really like who's going to Jim Garrett's house to work out in his backyard with high school kids, you know, like you don't see the first round draft picks doing that stuff, but it was what I needed to do. And I think at the end of the day, one thing that I can always hang my hat on is my entire journey in the game of football I was always willing to do what other people didn't want to do. And even as a fullback, that was my whole shtick was nobody wants to fit, stick their face in the fan for 60 minutes and smack people in the, in the face over and over and over. But I was like, look, if that's what it takes for me to live my dream, sign me up. Mm -hmm. I will run into a brick wall a hundred times and get up and do it again tomorrow if that's what it takes for me to play professional football. And so, and I think that was that moment in Jim Garrett's backyard when I kind of got his blessing. I think that's what turned the door or turned the, uh, opened the door, turned the page and kind of got that ball rolling. And so he wasn't, he wasn't really involved in the Oklahoma city thing. That was more me. Um, but then he ended up, so once I got back from Oklahoma City again, living with my parents, and he got me a tryout with the UFL. Um, and it was funny, they they were looking for a fullback and he was like, oh, well, I, got, I got one. And so he called me, I was in Sea Isle, New Jersey at the time with some buddies and they were like, he said, hey, you gotta work out in Orlando with the Florida Tuskers, a new UFL team. Um, you're working out as a fullback so just don't tell them that you never played before and so i went down there did the workout they signed me and then you know a couple of weeks later i was there starting fullback that's incredible i mean one like thread that i'm hearing in your stories and i've heard in stories you've told in the past is is kind of like a 
what seems from the outside, at least like a suppression of ego thing. I mean, you're a very highly successful high school player, enough to even be recruited by any colleges, period. Mm -hmm. um, you're successful enough in college to where you're starting, you're getting set, you're like you're, you're a performer on the field. You're not just, you know, someone who's coming off the bench. Mm -hmm. But you're also someone who's told at a, at a workout in, in a scout's backyard that you might be a fullback. And it seems like you're taking, you know, the metaphorical like ball and, and running with it. You're like you're scooping mm -hmm. and scoring. Where, like, where are you learning this kind of ego suppression? Because it seems like what you're really special at is is taking that opportunity and not asking questions when most people would probably wrestle for six months, like, and say, my identity is that actually as an outside linebacker or like a yeah. you know a defensive end. I'm I'm kind of good off this, you know, one dude who's never been between the lines telling me I should be a fullback. Like, can you kind of talk, like, did you wrestle with that? Was that like a month's long process? Or were you like, I'm a fullback. Like, this is my new identity. You know, I don't, I don't particularly know where that came from. I mean, my, you know, my dad played college football. Um, my mom was a, my mom was just a workhorse. She started from nothing and just, she never went to college. Um, just kind of worked in corporate America for no Rubbermaid her whole life, 30 some years now, 32 years. And she's just kind of continuously just, she was like the example of work ethic for me. Um, but the, the suppression of ego thing is very interesting because that's something that I recognized in both Bill and Tom Brady. I think that really makes them who they are is like, I mean, they're the most successful in their respective positions of all time. And you wouldn't know it by the way they work, the way they just, just get back to the, to the routine, to the process. They just live in that process and they're just so ingrained in them that that was one thing I was like, wow, I mean, who, who am I to like, think I'm above the game. If these two that I know are the best to ever do it, they're just in here. They're constantly learning. They're so open to criticism and to, you know, ulterior thinking. And that's why Bill's constantly like ahead of the game. I feel like he's always, his eyes are always open. He's always watching. He's always listening. He's huge in history, knowing like what has come before and then what will come after. Um, but yeah, I mean, the way I went through it, man, I was just like, look, whatever it takes, I'm just going to do it. Like even, even my first day at Brown. So one of the big things coming out of high school was I wanted to play middle linebacker. That's what I played in high school. I was, I was like pretty adamant, like, look, I, I'm really pretty decent at middle linebacker. Like I want to be a, a linebacker. Um, some colleges were like, you're probably going to have to put your hand in the dirt. Like you're, more of a defensive end, you know, you don't really have the athletic attributes to, to be an off the ball linebacker. But I was like, nah, I think, I think I'll work it out, you know? And then the first day I, I went to Brown where they're taking roll call by a position coach and the D line coach calls my name and I'll, Oh, I guess I'm a DN now. <laughs> and I didn't like, but again, who am I to say, <laughs> to say otherwise, you know? And I'm I'm fucking glad that I sorry I don't know if I can cry. Oh, you're fine. But yeah, um, I'm glad that I went that way because my de defensive line coach was an absolute monster. He was he was just they nicknamed him in college. He played at Boston University when they had a football team, and they nicknamed him Bloodbath McGrath. I mean, his knee was sideways. Walk with a limp everywhere he went. Like he was the prototypical college line, college defensive line coach. Fucking, he was the man. Um, and so you know, things just tend to work out. And it's not so much how it happens; it's like how you react to it. And I was just like, "Look, I'm here to do this thing. Whatever you say, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it to my best ability, and and we'll see where it goes." Yeah, and. uh it it sounds like, you know, you really used Tom and and Coach Belichick as as role models and and even mentors mm -hmm. 
but I'm, I'm curious, was there anyone else that you looked up to, you know, with maybe not as, you know, much acclaim or accolades or whatever, um, that you kind of felt like you learned the ropes of what it took to be an NFL player? Uh, was there anyone else that you played with as a teammate that kind of helped you instill and maybe, you know, a lot of the stuff that you mentor on today, you feel like you pass on and you're like, oh, I got it from, you know, that, that person. Yeah. Absolutely. One of one of the guys that I test a lot of what happened in my career to was I was kind of an understudy in Cincinnati before I went to New England. I was on the practice squad there. They had a starting fullback by the name of Chris Presley. And he played in Cincy, he played in Tampa for a couple of years. Um and he was just a prototypical six foot, played played running back slash fullback at Wisconsin. So the guy has just been running, running, run plays his entire career. And uh, he really took me under his wing. I think a lot of times when you're a practice squad player, guys that are starters can kind of look at you like, oh, man, this is my competition. Like, I'm not going to really do much with him. Um, but, man, he he took me in as like a little brother. And I ended up living with him. I mean, I still stay in contact with him to this day. He was one of the most influential people not only football wise but also just like me growing up as a man because here i am like trying to figure out my way in the world and i'm in cincinnati 21 i just turned 22 the summer of my rookie year um and so he just kind of settled me down taught me how to be a pro taught me how to you know control myself and and go which way I wanted to go in the league. And so I, I, I don't know, we had some, we had some great times as young men in Cincinnati and it was, it was, a, it was a really good thing. And then one other guy, the guy that I grew up training with Johnny Carlisle, um, he was a professional. I know you asked for teammates and he's not a teammate, but he was a professional boxer out of the new England area. Um, and he trained with Dickie Eklund and Mickey Ward. He was, up there in Haverhill, Massachusetts. And so he taught me a lot of those, that style of just training and thinking. Um, it was, it was a lot of just like, shut up and do the work. Like I could never talk back to him. Anything he told me to do, I had to do it. There was only one time I ever said no to him. And I was running back to back 300s, 300 yard shuttles. And I had just finished and another, I was doing like a class with some other high school kids. Um, I just finished and he said, Dev, do it again. And I said, no. And he like stood, he like stood up and I said, I started, I started running again. And then I ended up beating everybody. And he was like, see, that's why you never like say no. So um, he just was, he had kind of that. And one, a mentality that I, that I really appreciate now is, is uh, Marvin Hagler. I'm a, I'm a boxing guy because I grew up training with this guy. He taught me how to box, all this stuff. Uh, Marvin Hagler's whole mindset and how, you know, don't ever let yourself like kind of succumb to the, to the comforts in life. Like always humble yourself, always just know that there's more to work for and all that. So that's, that's something that I've always really, uh, really appreciated. And I think he taught me that mindset. It, it seems like you definitely have a 10 out of 10 mindset and coachability is, you know, you're, you're very high on, on that scale as well. But I do have to know, because I, I want to transition to, to talking about some of the stuff that you're working on now, especially in entrepreneurship. Sure. But before we do, I, I do have to ask the question, let's forget all the coachability and all the, the good guy act. Were you a trash talker on the field? No, absolutely not. At not. <laughs> not at all. Okay. I maybe I'm I remember in college getting on one kid a while from Yale. I still feel bad to this day cuz I said some <laughs> said some dirty shit. Um but so if he's if he ends up seeing this, I do apologize. But uh no, in at the professional level I was not a trash talker. I was very focused and I was like as soon as the play ended, I was looking over the sideline cuz I had to know whether I was coming off or or getting back in a huddle. I just felt like there was too much going through my head to ever to ever talk and i could never come up with good shit on the on the spot i mean 
you hear all the good cra- trash talkers and they're they're so creative in the yeah, things who's, that they who's say. the best in the nfl like who's the draymond of the nfl is it like an indomitian sue or aaron dot like who, who was like every I time mean, you kind of like i would say up? well brandon graham i mean i in being in the philadelphia area i see a lot of the eagles brandon graham is widely known as one of the one of the best trash talkers um jalen ramsey was was a big trash talker yeah um and uh, yeah, I mean, on, on my team, Julian Edelman was a great one, but he wasn't so much like, you know, derogatory. It was very much like kind of just funny, you know? And so yeah. there's, everyone has their style and I was just more, more like a focus, like, you know, I'm out here to do my job and, you know, I'm not really, every once in a while, I just like, if I saw someone I knew, you know, shake their hand, kind of tap them on the ass, something like that, but nothing crazy. I love Edelman's stuff with Randy Moss, man. He can tell some yeah, stories. Uh, Edelman's crap. Hey, Edelnut, get my hot tub to about 104, Edelnut. <laughs> I can only imagine those moments. But, Ryan, you don't have to talk trash when you got Tom Brady behind you and Bill Belichick on the sideline. Yeah, James probably just had to point up at the scoreboard. And that yeah, true. probably good enough. Like, come on, man. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to be going to the next round. You're going to be going to Cabo. So there's, <laughs> there's levels to it. <laughs> Yeah, there's only so much you got to say. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate, you know, we call the show on the way because it's, you know, two parted. One, one, we want to know what got you to where you are and maybe mm-hmm. share a model that other aspiring athletes or just people who want to adopt the mindset can take on. And I think you did a great job sharing, you know, what got you to today. But the next chapter is one that we're always particularly, particularly interested in. Um, learning, uh, especially with someone like yourself who had made such a big career transition. Um, you know, you retire and obviously the, you know, career span for being in the NFL, very physical game, you're retiring in your early thirties. Um, Mm -hmm. talk about the transition to go off the field. Like, was there some identity searching? How long did it take you to say, Hey, I want to be a business owner or an investor? Mm -hmm. Like, was that a, quick process like what what did that look like and and was it challenging uh yeah i would say yeah it's it's definitely challenging um i think i still struggle with the transition i mean every sunday i have these feelings of like god damn i wish i was out there i mean it was just it was the time of my life man it really was like i was living out my dream for 10 years and now the the way my career ended i do really appreciate because if i had to do it at my own accord and say look i'm done playing i don't know how i would have done it i really don't i think you see that you see that with like i don't know if you guys watched the kelsey documentary but like he's very much in that in that limbo where you know when you know you can do it another year it's like well why not you know so um having it kind of medically taken out of my hands more or less was, was I really kind of appreciate that. It's like weird as that seems because a lot of people say like, no, I want to go out on my terms. If it were up to me, I just don't think I could mentally like get myself there. So, um, and then transitioning out was right into COVID, which was super weird. Um, I was just kind of on the precipice of starting to like, realized that I wanted to do something entrepreneurially. Um, and so I started looking in the fitness concept. So I wanted to maybe open up like a sports performance gym because I've always loved the training side of football. Um, I was looking at properties in, in Pennsylvania and COVID hit and shut the world down, shut fitness down especially. And so I said, you know what, maybe I should pivot out of this. Um, actually took some courses through the NFLPA on entrepreneurship and uh, got linked up with a guy that was, that was pretty well connected in, in franchising. And I thought I'd do something in the fitness franchise world and went through the whole process was a day away from signing on with a franchise and backed out of it, went back to the drawing board, said, you know what, that wasn't really for me. Um, it wasn't really like my identity. Right. So then, and again, like I'm constantly like, what should I be doing? 
I'm very, like I said, I'm competitive. So I like, I hated the, the idle state I was in where I was like retired at 31, four kids. Like, what am I going to do now? You know, like what am I passionate? People are like, Oh, well, yeah, you just got to do something you're passionate about. Well, like what I'm passionate about is still in the field and I can't do it anymore. Um, so I just had to kind of re re find myself a little bit. I ended up organically meeting some, a guy on the beach who was looking to sell his business in Solberry. I live in town in Brigancy, New Jersey. He was looking to sell it. I said, yeah, there's a great opportunity for me to like get my beak wet in business. So I took it off his hands and now I'd like to exercise my entrepreneurial spirit in growing the business because I bought it as a one unit thing. And now I have two, I have one in Ocean City, New Jersey. Um, so that's something I, I'd like to pursue long-term is the growth of Solberry. It's a very cool brand. It's unique in the way that we do things. We source all our stuff. We don't add any additives or preservatives. It's all natural, all frozen fruit, no ice, nothing like that. Um, you know, all our granola is made locally gluten-free, you know, nut-free, allergen-free, all that stuff. And so we we do a really good job. We have a great little ambiance. It's built out of a ship, shipping container in Brigantine. Really cool concept. And I think it can be replicated and expanded upon. So that's that's my next journey. And then I do work in the NFLPA, um, f- actually f- helping guys as a trust captain. The trust is a program within the NFLPA that – assists guys in the transition out of the game so it kind of found my calling a little bit there it allows me to stay close to the game and to you know the guys that we share have so much common experience with um so that's been great and then my four kids man just being a dad and that's and that's really what i hung my hat on like right when i retired it's like look football gave me the great opportunity to to provide for my family. And now I get to provide for my family by being there mm-hmm. and by being home and being with them, just going through the good days, the bad days, all this shit together. Um, and so that's why I wanted to be an entrepreneur. That's why right when I transitioned, I said, look, my biggest priority now is my family. Um, and so I'm going to, I'm going to be here for it. And so I wanted to control my time and, and so that's that's how I'm doing it, man. So I mean, it's constantly a work in progress, though, man. Because it's it's like my business down here is seasonal. So every October, I everything kind of comes to a stop, and then I get those idle idle hands again, and I try to recreate myself. Try to oh man, what am I doing? People like I, you know, you're always constantly thinking like oh man, people are looking at me like, what the fuck's he doing? You know, he he played. 10 years, but now like he owns a business, now two businesses, like what else? And maybe people think that maybe they don't, but it's just my natural, like I always got to achieve more. I always need more and something to, to go after. And so like, man, what that is, I don't know, but I'll eventually figure it out. And it's just, you know, it is a, it's a constant, a constant, thought in my mind is like how can i be better how can i do more how can i provide more for my family okay uh that was deep that was amazing yeah. i think that's the theme of your life of doing things like authentically to yourself not really worrying about what others believe or mm-hmm. what the odds or percentages are so i, I mm-hmm. suspect you're gonna have a lot of success something that i talk a lot about with ryan is we have this company venture capital back and all that. My kids don't care about that, but they love when I'm at their soccer practices. So that to me Mm -hmm. has become the most fulfilling part of my life of forget who investor I just spoke to or whatever's going on. It's, I got to make practice. And I suspect you're Mm -hmm. the same. Um, What's, what's life like in the, in the Devlin household and how are curtains still hanging on the wall? Cause we grew up in a household (laughs) where at all times our mom was yelling at us to stop throwing something, a ball, a football, hockey pucks were flying across the living room. Yeah. Well, thankfully I'm, I'm pretty handy from my time as an engineer. So <laughs> I don't, you can't see, but this corner is 
halfway ripped out of the wall. It was completely out. Um, but I kind of MacGyvered it back up. And it's, I mean, every curtain is like at least one corner is out. And I had to like molly bolt the thing back. So now it's like a tornado won't even take that thing out. Um, but the day in the, Hevelin, in the Devlin household is loud. Um, my kids got a lot of energy. I got two older boys, seven and six. They're 13 months apart. A four-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son. And it's just like all energy, throwing balls, kicking balls in the house, watching Spider-Man, whatever cartoon, you know, whatever on Netflix now. And you know what's funny is... <laughs> Every once in a while, you know, we'll put on standard cable and a commercial will come on or something. Like we were just, we were actually just away for this past weekend. We were in a hotel and we're watching something and my kids are going like, oh yeah, rewind that. And I'm like, you can't rewind. <laughs> you can't rewind. <laughs> you this. rewind here, this is yeah. what everyone, this is what I used to watch when I was a kid. Like we can't, we can't go back and watch it. Um, but now it's, I mean, I have so much joy in being a dad, man. It's, it's really it's really like such a special duty, something I take very, very seriously. Um, and, you know, thankfully I had great examples from my childhood of, of how to love and how to be there and support um, from my parents. I mean, they were, they were there for me. And so now, you know, my wife is an absolute saint. She, she put up with a lot of shit having three kids all while I was still playing football. And then, um, you know, we had our one COVID baby and, and, you know, he's, he's a handful now. He's the only one that's still home from school. So it's, uh, it's all good, man. I, I, I love, I love being here with them. I mean, they're, they're the, they're like the pride of my life now. So, yeah, and they really always were football. See, I, I like this. So football was, was my one and only love for my entire life. Then I met my wife. And it became football was a a way to provide for her. Like she became my focus and my focus shifted from football was everything to now family is everything. And football is my tool in which I will provide for my family. And so it's still, you know, very much in that priority um, set up. And so, you know, I just got to, you know, Soulberry is now the tool that, provides for my family and then you know whether it's you know professional speaking or writing a book or whatever it's going to be a tool to provide for my family because that's that's what i want to go down in history as being is just a family man you know that's that's really i think one of the best things you can be yeah we talk about that a lot on the podcast we've had some other athletes on there and when you go and walk through a cemetery and unfortunately i've had to do that a time or two in the last year all that really mm. matters is that dash and underneath yeah. it, it normally doesn't say CEO or yeah. franchiser of 15 soul berries. Uh -huh. It says father, grandfather, mm -hmm. son, brother. So yeah. it really is like, that's what matters at the end of the day. I've never heard someone on their deathbed say, I wish I had another million dollars in bonds. It's I wish I had yeah. five minutes to like go back and watch my son hit that winning shot. A hundred percent, man. I mean, so that like, is, that is so damn true. But but now I'm going to switch again back to the money because I know if Nick Saban's listening, he's he's rubbing his hands together thinking like, wait, James's father played college football. James played in the league for 10 seasons. We got a huh? bunch of boys in that household. They got to be about, what, 6'5", running 4'440 right now? Like, what, do, what do we got? <laughs> no, if, they, if they take after their dad, they'll be moderately sized and not fast at all. Y'all yeah. got like some protein powders at Soulberry you could pour oh, in there. They love they love their protein, man. They love it. Um, you know, we we keep them well fed around here. My wife is Italian, so she's constantly cooking up something good. Um, but uh, yeah, now we my two older boys just finished their first year in in uh, tackle football, and that was something I didn't I didn't want to push them. I didn't say a thing about it. They played uh, flag the year before, but my oldest jimmy my namesake um he was like dad i want to i want to play real football this year and i was like all right bud if we're gonna do it we're gonna do it right so i took him over and got him in a nice program man and uh and they had an absolute blast we made a whole family outing every single practice all six of us were there 
supporting um, Jimmy and Will, my my two kids, and they had a great year. They had a great little squad. They finished regular season six and one, and then went to their little taxi bowl they called it and uh, and won it thirty four nothing. So I was pretty proud of them. Are you are you pretty quiet? Are you pretty hands on with the coaching in between? You so. I was going to coach um, and I went through the whole process in Jersey. You have to get fingerprinted and they run your, your identity through the state and everything. I did that process. And the day before I got my clearance, I was at a scrimmage. Um, Jimmy and Will were on, at a scrimmage and I was a little too involved. And I feel like I took the fun away from them in that scrimmage. I was just a little too like, Oh, you got to do this. No, you got to go uh, like, make sure you run in and out all this stuff, like all these little things. And I realized like, you know what, maybe my coaching style isn't right for this age. Like I'm their dad. I, and I don't want those, those lines getting mixed up at six and seven. Cause I just want them to play the game, to fall in love with it the way I did. And to just like love every second of it. I can, I can get them when they're 12, 13 and teach them all like the little nuanced shit that I learned over my years. And then they can actually apply it when they're six and seven. Like they don't care. They're just excited to eat oatmeal cream pies after the game. You know, like they, they're they really just out there having fun. So I just figured like, again, I'm going to put my ego to the side and I'm going to just be like the support system here. Not so much the coach at this time. And so uh, I think it was great, man. And they, they had a really good little, um, I shouldn't say little, they had a really good coaching uh, experience. They're, they're, the guys there were top notch and they taught the game the right way. I mean, I I was standing there watching every single drill they did in practice, every single play in the game. So it was not like I was missing much. And they uh, and they did a really nice job from, from my perspective. I suspect too. Yeah. I would be shaking if, if I got James over my shoulder, making sure I'm running the uh, the drills, the, the Oklahoma drill for the, the eight-year-olds the right way, you know? I'd Man. be shaking. Yeah, you haven't seen how these parents treat uh, youth football. I'm, I'm sure James is probably the softest person out there. They, they're some of these dads that I'm out on the fields and everyone's screaming at each other to break up yeah. fights. Uh, they don't play, but I suspect James is actually, I bet your daughter, I bet you're, um, she's a daddy's girl, huh? Like forget all, forget all the boys. Like something I've had fun doing is I have a son and a daughter. It's like I like going to her dance classes and everything like yeah. that. There's nothing I can yell out because I don't understand anything that's happening at gymnastics, <laughs> and I know very very surely I could do nothing she's doing. So mm-hmm. I'm more fascinated by that. My son and sports and all that. I always have something to say. At Landon's yeah. thing, I'm just watching. Like I don't know how any of these girls are doing these flips and stuff. Yeah, yeah. My daughter, my daughter's in dance and gymnastics as well, and um she's she's you know she's got two older brothers and a younger brother so she's like a hundred percent gonna be the toughest of them all she already is i mean when she was uh like one and a half at easter a couple years back two and a half years ago um she fell and knocked her front tooth out but we didn't know it so we just like kind of lifted her up brushed her off she had a fat lip but we couldn't see underneath the lip. Um, you know, she's 10 minutes later, she's eating pasta, you know, we're, we're doing it. And then later that night we're changing her. And I finally get like a look from that angle when you're like, she's laying down and I'm like, Oh my God, her tooth is gone. And I'm, I went out and picked it up off the sidewalk. Like her entire tooth popped right out. And she cried for like, Maybe five minutes, you know. Going to be a and hockey player. She, yeah, I know. That. So since then, since then, she's had that hockey player look. Like she doesn't have a front <laughs> tooth. I've loved it, and it's going to be a sad, sad day when that tooth grows in, man. Because her entire life, her entire last three years of her life, she hasn't had a front tooth, and so I'm like dreading that day when that thing grows in. It's going to be a sad, sad day when someone asks her out to prom and has to come over to y'all's house with all those older brothers and you there, too. So that's going to be a bad day yeah. for that individual as well. Yeah. You know, what's that movie? Uh, is it Den of Thieves with uh, Gerard Butler and 50 Cent? Do you know that? And I then, haven't seen it. Oh, 50, it's a great scene. I'll I'll text it to you after this. But okay. I'll, 
I'll kind of recap it real shortly. Um, yeah. 50 Cent's daughter is going to going to prom and her her date comes over and he's like, hey, come in here real quick. And he pulls him into the garage and 50 Cent lifting weights. They're all like their wife beaters and shit all swolled up. And then he says like something to the kid, like, you know, if you don't have her back by 11, like we'll come find you or something like that. And I, that scene is always like stuck with me. Like, that's what I want my daughter's prom date to come into, <laughs> you know, like me, me out in the garage with my, with my boys just lifting weights and getting swole and, you know, have her home by 1030 or whatever, you know, It'd be great. Yeah, you gotta, if, she's you losing, that. if she's losing teeth and holding up, she might be protecting the brothers though. It might be the yeah, other for way. Real. <laughs> for real. Yeah. yeah. Gotta, gotta start ironing out that wife beater. Gotta have that ready for that day, man. That'll be clean. Yes, I love sir. that. Well, James, this has been a fantastic conversation. I do want to ask you our traditional closing question um, that we ask every guest. Do you have a, a mantra or a saying um, that you use uh, current day, whether it's in the gym mm -hmm. or whether you're waking up and, and going to, you know, going to Solberry? Um, is there something mm -hmm. that comes to mind that kind of keeps you motivated or keeps you going today? Sure. Um, one thing that I've really relished on lately is how you do anything is how you do everything. Um, or maybe it's the other way around. <laughs> how you do everything is how you do anything. It's, it's something that I've come to realize, like, look, my football career went the way it did because of my actions leading up to it, because of the journey that I took to get there. It wasn't so much like, oh, yeah, I won three Super Bowls. That's not really what I'm proud of. I'm proud of everything that happened before it. Because that was one sobering thing I realized, like winning the Super Bowl on a Sunday night was was fantastic, top of the world. But then come Monday morning, I'm just another guy and, I, and I'm working towards the next year already. So like this journey out of the game of football, I've kind of I've come to realize, like, look, I got to take the same approach. I got to do exactly what I did in the game of football now with a, with a different goal in mind. And, you know, day after day, go to practice, do the work, just keep slugging away at it. And eventually you'll get to where you want to go. And so that's something I've kind of hung my hat on as of late. Well, we've definitely come away. I've come away very inspired by your attitude, your mindset, your family first uh, priorities. I think that's special. Tyrone and I grew up, so definitely resonate and appreciate that. But thank you. This this has been a wonderful conversation. We'll certainly have to do it again. Um, really sure. enjoyed everything here. So I appreciate you making yeah, the time, man. man. Yeah, oh, thanks, thank James. You. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I know I can get long winded on some things, but um, when it comes to football and family, man, I'm very passionate about it, and so I'm not going to shy away from <laughs> what I have to say. So I thank you guys for giving me the platform to uh, to express myself. Of course. Absolutely. Thanks, James. All right, guys. Have a good one. Thank you.